every family has history and every family has cherished stories. Saving Memories Forever provides a new way for you to record and preserve family memories using audio and more. Check out the free Saving Memories Forever app. It's available for the iPhone, iPad, and Android services. It lets you easily record your stories and then share them with family at the Saving Memories Forever website. Get started today and capture all those stories of your parents, grandparents, and other family members. For more information, go to savingmemoriesforever.com. Saving Memories Forever, sharing family memories one story at a time. Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Our theme for this April 2013 episode of the podcast is History for Genealogists. And I've got some great tips, tools, products, and websites for you to help you discover ways to incorporate more history into your research. Our first stop is the news from the blogosphere with managing editor Diane Haddad. She's going to be here to share some of the best historical blogs from the recent Family Tree Magazine Top 40 Best Blogs list. In our top tip segment, author Nancy Hendrickson is going to be here to give us some tips from her handy little book. It's called The Genealogist's U.S. History Pocket Reference. Then in our 101 Best Websites, we're going to explore historicmapworks.com. It's a website devoted to scanned original historic maps. Then in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Family Tree Magazine author and instructor Gina Philibert Ortega is going to be here to give us some of her favorite resources for discovering and incorporating social history into our family history for her video class. It's called the Top 10 Social History Tools. And finally, we're going to check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. She's the publisher of Family Tree Magazine, and she'll have some excellent resources to catapult us further into history. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the news from the blogosphere with Diane Haddad. Let's kick off this episode with news from the blogosphere. And here to give us the scoop is the genealogy insider blogger, Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hi. Diane, the huge annual Roots Tech Genealogy Conference, of course, sponsored by FamilySearch, has just wrapped up for 2013. And, you know, one of the new offerings this year was a storytelling track. And, of course, you know, having a firm understanding of history can make us much better storytellers about the lives of our ancestors. Now, I know that Tyler Moss was there. I got to see him there. And Family Tree Magazine, of course, had a presence in a booth, and you've been reporting on Roots Tech. Let's talk about it, some of the impressions and things that were noted this year. Absolutely. The storytelling theme, it was really very strong. I was watching streaming videos um, of some of the sessions, and I think that is um, sort of a new focus for Family Search. Yeah, it really was. There was. There were a lot of classes. It was incorporated into the keynotes, and my sense was, it just energized everybody. There, it was almost that piece that had been kind of missing, this idea that um, we don't want to just know the names and the dates and the trees, but we really want the whole story. Right. And how do I put it together and share it with people? Because if you don't share it, then I think someone said in one of the sessions that they don't really exist until you tell their story. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I was thinking about 
the 40 best genealogy blogs list that you guys put together at Family Tree Magazine. In that list, and of course they had official genealogy bloggers at the conference, but in that list you also have some blogs that really stand out that I think could help people learn more about specific areas of history that could enrich their, their family history. What are some of the standouts in that top 40 list to you? Blogs are a great way to pick up on social history, and a, several of the genealogy bloggers will take, um, they'll kind of use their family as a, a microcosm and then talk about the local history of the area where the families live and world events that were going on and how their families experienced those. So a couple of them that I think are particularly good at that, there's one called Sandusky History. It's a town in Ohio. The author of the article, David Frixell, he said, posts read like a local history lesson mm-hmm. um, on topics big and delightfully small. Oh. And then the New York History blog, that's one that I follow, too. It talks about um, different records that inform you about the history of these of areas in New York. And there's a series that they do about old murder mysteries, which is really intriguing. And it also talks about news and events that's happening, anything that has to do with New York history. Um, Seeking Michigan, that's the blog of the Archives of Michigan. That one has... Um, really neat photographs that depict Michigan history and then information about those photos. So that's another one that that I really enjoy. So what was some of your criteria for determining who was going to make the top 40 list? It's tough. There's, boy, now thousands of family history-related blogs out there. (laughs) Yes, and I think David was looking for blogs that have kind of had staying power, you know, where the person, the blogger, is, is still going strong and consistently um, chooses interesting topics. Dave's really into history. Mm-hmm. So I think those were things that he looked for. And of course, you know, we do always encourage people to go out there and expand this list for themselves because there's always going to be blogs that appeal to you personally because, you know, it has something to do with your family history, you know, and things that your family experienced. So look for, look for more blogs. And we have, we described some different ways you can do that in this article. Now, uh, which issue does the article appear in? This is the May-June issue, and it is um, scheduled to be out mid-April. So May-June 2013 issue has the 40 best genealogy blogs. It's a great assortment, and I think if nothing else, even though they, they can't cover everything, you really get a sense of what some of the top blogs look like so that as you go out and search for others that might apply to your own family history or there's certain counties where they live, that type of thing, um, you're going to have a sense of kind of what to look for. It's a great list. It is, and we really enjoy going out and checking out all these blogs. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. I'm going to have a link over to Shop Family Tree. People can find the magazine, of course, and keep your eye out for that issue for the top 40 list. And um, there's just some of the ones you mentioned. I, you know, I love when you read somebody who's really put together a strong blog and, and they really, you can tell they really pour their hearts into these articles. They do. It's, it's a passion for a lot of people and it's a way to preserve it for themselves and also share with other genealogists and other, you know, just anyone who's interested in history. Wonderful. And of course, if you want to learn more about the Roots Tech Conference, you can head over to rootstech.org. Some of the streaming presentations that Diane was talking about viewing have been recorded so that you can still watch those and catch up. 
Lots to do. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you next month. Okay, sounds good. Our theme for this episode is History for Genealogists, and I've got the author of The Genealogist U.S. History Pocket Reference, Nancy Hendrickson, here to talk about that. Welcome to the show, Nancy. Hey, Lisa. Thanks. It's always great to be here with you. It's always nice to have you back. I think we should just start off this top tip segment having you kind of explain to us why is it essential for genealogists to understand American history when they're researching ancestors in the U.S.? You know, I've I've thought about this a lot. In fact, I I taught a a class here in San Diego about that very thing. And I realized that long ago, without my knowledge of American history, it would have been so much more difficult for me, not only to do my own genealogy research, but for me to, to make logical conclusions about what the next step of my research is. And just as an example, you know, I, I had a family that would have been living in what's Illinois today, and they abruptly disappeared, of course, as we have the disappearing, you know, ancestors. And when I when I really dug into the history of the area, I realized that the Black Hawk War was going on at that time, and there was a lot of Indian raiding, and people left the area because it was simply too dangerous, and they went elsewhere. And so knowing that, I had a clue at least of why they left. And as I could see uh, accounts of where people tended to go, that led me to the next step of my research. So without knowing, you know, that the Black Hawk War happened in that time period, I would never have had a clue where to look next. Yeah, that's a great example. And and I could imagine some people are listening and they're thinking, oh, darn, I didn't pay enough attention in school (laughs) when I was taking my history courses. But your pocket guide just kind of gives us that quick overview that we need just to open up some of those ideas. Talk about a little bit, what what did you include in there? And what did you think was really essential to have in a guide like that? Oh, wow. You know, there is so much information in that pocket guide. And and I also want to say it really is a pocket guide. You can stick it in your back pocket or your purse. It's it's really handy to take with you if you're doing research. But it basically covers from colonial America up uh, through World War II. And in each segment or each era, I've really included the major historical events major personalities of the time, what was going on socially at the time, popular music, uh, books people might have read. It really gives you this broad spectrum of everyday life during specific eras. So if you're, you know, if you're in 1830, whatever, you can sit there and look and say, oh, okay, the, the Alamo and the Texas independence, that was happening in that time period. So you really get a sense of what was going on. I am such an advocate of timelines. Yes. Because it is so important to me to realize that when my ancestor was sitting in 1830 Texas, what was happening elsewhere, what was happening in Texas, it gives you such a broad and well-rounded sense of who those people really were. And even if the event took place 10 states away, 
they still would have read about it in the paper. It's something they would have talked about. It just gives you a great sense of what was going on during the course of their lifetime. I think that's just invaluable because it puts flesh on the statistics. It does, and it really adds context to these names and dates and, and information, the data that you're getting. You know, people didn't live in a vacuum, right? So oh, they're, totally. they're part of their environment. They're part of what's going on. And you mentioned timelines. Of course, you have timelines in the book, the military events and that kind of thing. Right. I would imagine you recommend that people maybe even make their own timeline just for the family that they're working on so that they can yeah. maybe cross-reference. Absolutely. If I start to research a, a new branch, I will always sit down and do a timeline of over the course of that person's, the span of their lifetime, because I want to know what was happening in the United States during that period of time. And that it's just so critical. And, you know, I was thinking about this uh, before the podcast started, how important this is. Um, and let me just give you another example. If you find an ancestor who ended up in California in 1850, the chances are huge that they were there because of the gold rush, because in the years from 1849 to 1850, San Francisco grew from 900 people to 25,000 people <laughs> like in that one year, you know, shanty town to booming metropolis. And if your family ended up in California in 1850, the chances are extremely high that they went there because of the gold rush. And that opens up a whole other interesting can of worms, I guess, for you to, to you really dig in and find out what happened, you know, where'd they go? How did they end up getting there? Did they take a wagon train across the country? Did they sail down around the horn? It's just fascinating to me. Yeah. And it really brings home this idea that um, as much as we like to think, you know, when a, when a brick wall hits us, we just feel like, well, you know, it's not our fault. It's a needle in a haystack. But in reality, what you're really describing is it's not such a mystery. It's not such a needle in the haystack. If you make yourself aware of what's going on around them, there are some very logical leads that you could follow right. just by understanding the history. I really encourage people to read regional histories because I cannot tell you how many times I have found my family mentioned in a history book. Yes. And, and they wouldn't. It's not that they were a major player, but they were there. They were there when an event happened, and they're they're mentioned in passing, and it may just be one line, but it's shocking to me how often I actually do find my family in history books. Regional histories, county histories are two of my favorite places to run down family. Oh, and of course, a great resource for that would be starting with Google Books. You know, oh, it's free, totally. and because those books are older and they're out of copyright, they're oftentimes already digitized. So fantastic! You know, you've you've brought up so many great tips already for ways that we can kind of incorporate the history. And if you would like to get a hold of her little book here, this is awesome. It's four inches by six inches. She it literally is a pocket guide. But it's packed. It's 192 pages, and it's called The Genealogist U.S. History Pocket Reference. Nancy, thank you so much, of course, for just inspiring us to become historians as well as genealogists. Oh, you're so welcome. This episode is sponsored by SavingMemoriesForever.com, and here to tell us more about it is the founder of Genia Bloggers, Thomas McKenty, who is also the ambassador of SavingMemoriesForever.com. Hi, Thomas. Hi, Lisa. 
You know, Thomas, genealogy is so much more than names and dates. Tell us why it's important for us as genealogists to also devote time and effort to capturing family stories and memories. Well, there are two reasons. One is I see myself as the connector between different generations. I was raised by my great-grandparents, and then my niece and nephew never knew my great-grandparents. There's going to be no other person that can really make that connection unless I preserve the stories of being raised by my great-grandparents and then pass them on. And then number two, it's a nice way to bring in other family members. You know, we pull out the names and dates and family runs the other way. But if we have an engaging story to tell about an ancestor, that gets them hooked and they stay. Saving Memories Forever has made preserving and sharing these stories and these memories easier. How so? Several ways. I mean, Saving Memories Forever has taken hold of the iPhone and Android technologies that are out there, so it's convenient. Many people have smartphones, have these mobile devices. It works on an iPad as well. And basically, for free, you can record a story. There's some structure to it as well, which is what I love. There are prompts. You can actually create your own questions. And you can say, you know, where did you, you and mom go on your first date? Or ask your grandparents where they met or when they first celebrated Easter or Passover together. Also, we're coming up on graduations, Mother's Day, Father's Day. These are important times to interview family members, and that's what you can do with the Saving Memories Forever product. There are so many events coming up that are going to be perfect for this. How can our listeners get started using Saving Memories Forever? Well, you can go to the website for savingmemoriesforever.com, sign up for a free account. Then you can also download the app from either the iTunes store or Google Play is where most Android apps are. And then that's where I do a lot of my own recording. But the fun part is working with the website because the website allows you with a premium subscription to store the stories, to look at the prompts, to get an idea of what questions you should ask. You can also start to add elements like photos and uh, type some narratives, some stories as well. So it's convenient. What's happened is we forget that these stories are not going to write themselves. We really do have to interview uh, our family members. And we also need that spark of inspiration through those prompts because I can't remember everything that I want to ask my grandparent or my cousins. And this is a good way to do that. Well, you know, the, the website does so much of the work for us to kind of get us those prompts and help us get started. Do you have any tips for someone who's just getting started on capturing their family's stories? Sometimes I go old school. I will take a piece of paper and a pen and I will just write out, you know, this is one of what I want to ask my cousin. And then I prioritize. You know, I want to respect their time. So for a meeting in person, I want to say, I want to interview you. These are the things that I want to ask. And I always ask for permission when I want to use uh, photos or stories, especially from a living person. That's a good way to get started. Go slow. A lot of people, they're too ambitious. They want to do one long 60 minutes type interview. (laughs) Small bites are really, when you have small bites and you string them together, you have a veritable feast of family history and family stories. Keep it simple. And using a product like Saving Memories Forever really helps with that. Well, it makes storytelling easier, and it's definitely storytelling at its best. It's saving memories forever. And Thomas McKenty, thank you so much for giving us a bit of a tour and all your great tips. Thank you, Lisa. And this 
101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots segment, our online editor, Tyler Moss, is here to tell us about historicmapworks.com. Hi, Tyler. Hi, Lisa. Tyler, what does Historic Maps have going for it that landed it on the 101 Best Websites list? Well, so, you know, our Historic Mapworks is an Internet company, essentially, that's based in Portland, Maine. Um, But what they're really known for is creating... Historic, this uh, historical digital map database of North America and also of the world, um, where they draw on this huge collection of maps from both their own collection and um, from maps from places like the Osher Map Library and the Smith Center for Cartographic Education. And they have their technicians basically geocode each map to a modern map to enable all these sort of really cool search functions. You can search by address or latitude and longitude. Um, you can search by keyword or you can search by even, you know, town name or map maker everything or, or any, anything like that. And so, you know, I'm from Portland, Oregon. Essentially what I could do is I could look at downtown Portland, Oregon and I could see, you know, here's where uh, Pioneer Courthouse Square is today, 200 years ago, what was standing in the same place. So that kind of right. stuff is really cool. Yeah. They've done a lot of the homework of geocoding these maps so that they're really searchable. We can dig in on the website as genealogists to find what we're looking for. Um, once we find a map, um, how can we use it? Do we Can we just use it on the website for analysis? Can we download it? Uh, how does all that work? Yeah, there are all sorts of options. What they um, call their historic earth overlay is where you can, you know, look at a modern map laid over the old map and kind of see where things are, so that would obviously be via the web. Um, However, they also do have all sorts of high-definition printing options available. Um, Whether you wanted to print, you know, 72 DPI print at homes or PDF downloads or even, you know, JPEG file downloads. And so to achieve that, they have kind of two different systems. You can do a kind of a pay-per-use system or you can do kind of a monthly subscription system. and so if you do either one, you have to register for the website first. But um, as you kind of go through, you can kind of get a feel for how much you're going to be using the website and really decide which one is a better fit for you. So we can sign up for the website for free and get exactly. our bearings, correct? Correct. And you're able to, you know, with a free uh, registration, you're able to do everything like, you know, search through all their, you know, really intricate search abilities um, and find the maps you're looking for to begin with. You know, you can browse by the location search and the keyword search and the address search and all that cool stuff. Um, and they even have, like, a basic overlay viewer where um, before paying anything, you can kind of get a feel for what it looks like when, you know, the modern maps are laid over the the old maps. But, it, you know, you have to start paying to get some of the more advanced features, whether that's what's included with your subscription purchase or you get free access to city directories or you get this historic earth overlay premium, which has just more, more features, basically. So depending on what your, your research need is or, or what it is you're trying to, the story you're trying to tell, that might dictate, of course, what kind of map and what kind of um, usage you'd be doing. But you kind of touched on city directories, and I was thinking, you know, from what I can see here, there's a real variety of maps and, and images available. So we're not just talking the basic roadmap, are we? Tell us a little bit more about what kind of, what types of collections we're going to find. No, it's really neat, kind of the variety of, of different sor- sorts of things they have, from everything from, 
you know, United States property atlases to antiquarian maps to nautical charts and bird's eye views. Uh, they even have some really cool special collections, such as celestial maps, portraits, and other historical images. Um, and also, you know, you've got directories and, and other text documents, too. So you're looking through, yeah, it's not just maps. There's a wide variety of stuff that's available. So to start, would you just recommend then we go ahead and sign up for the free account and, what, go to the search feature and maybe put in a place? Exactly. So my my recommendation would be to go to the site and, and you know register for free, and get your free account, and then go back to the home page and start kind of digging into the search features and start looking for the sorts of maps you would be interested in, and then you can kind of get a feel for whether you know how many of those they have, whether you think they would be useful to your research purposes. You can kind of get a feel for how expensive each one is if you're going to buy it, you know, pay per use versus subscription, that sort of thing. And we can do this mobile, can't we? That's right. They also have an iPhone app. I believe it is $6. So you can also pull up, you know, all these old maps. And I'm not sure how extensive the tools go, but I do know that even on the app, you're able to layer old maps over new maps and that sort of thing. Mm. So it sounds pretty cool. Wow. We might need our reading glasses, though. That's going to be pretty small. (laughs) But, (laughs) you know, kind of fun. And, of course, the nice thing is you can go into uh, the iTunes App Store and you can look through the images of what you get in the app, read the descriptions, and see if it sounds like the kind of thing that you might want to use when you're on the go. And I know, finally, I also noticed um, if you don't want to necessarily start purchasing and using it individually, we could perhaps look for a library that carries this. How does that work? That's right. So um, they have uh, Historic MapWorks Library Edition, which is distributed by ProQuest to public libraries and universities. And so if you could, you know, find a public library university that has the ProQuest subscription, then you could just go in and use it for free there and kind of start digging in and seeing whether or not this is something worthwhile for an individual purchase. Yeah, make a day of it. That would be uh, a wonderful way to go and really get your hands dirty in there with all the, the wonderful images. And like you said, it's, it's more than just the basic map. There's such a variety here. If, if you want to check it out for yourself, it's easy to do. Go to historicmapworks.com. And um, Tyler, thanks so much for kind of giving us a bird's eye view of what we can do in terms of uh, geography and maps. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. In our Family Tree University Crash Course segment, I've invited Gina Philibert Ortega to uh, join me back here on the podcast because she has a great video class that she did recently uh, that falls right in line with History for Genealogists. Welcome back to the show, Gina. Thanks for having me, Lisa. It's great to be on. Well, it's great to be here because I think your class, Top 10 Social History Tools, is perfect for what we're talking about here on the podcast. This was, what, a 30-minute video class that you did recently? Yes, and it's all about social history, which is something that I'm just passionate about. I really think that social history makes your genealogy come alive and makes it more interesting to people in your family who aren't genealogists. Absolutely. And Now, when you're talking about social history, I imagine you are talking about the kinds of things that were happening worldwide, countrywide, statewide, in their own town, things that were happening around our ancestors? Well, yeah, and it's the big events, too. I mean, you know, if you think about history class when you were in middle school, it was all about uh, memorizing dates and battles and all that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, for example, how did World War II affect your family? You know, I'm, I'm talking about having 
those who are reading your family history better understand your ancestors' lives. So for the World War II example, what was it like to be involved with food rationing or gas rationing and telling those stories? And, you know, whenever you read a biographical narrative of any kind, they add social history to it to make it more interesting and to help you feel like you're a part of it and you can understand the life better. So why shouldn't we do that with genealogy? Exactly, because not every ancestor left a journal behind explaining what it was like. But what you're talking about is um, going out and getting up to speed. And and there's so many wonderful resources that we'll talk in general terms that we really can make some logical assumptions, if you will, as far as what their experience might have been like. Exactly. And the thing is, is like you said, So many people didn't leave behind great things like journals. But through social history, you can explain what their life was like. I mean, you know, if you have an ancestor who was part of the San Francisco earthquake and survived that, you can find images online. You can find even video and other people talking about what that experience was like. And that would help enhance your own ancestor's story. And in fact, that is my own ancestor story, that uh, yes. my great-grandfather. And you're absolutely right. I think it was Internet Archive. Internet Archive is a, is a free archive that had video, and they had a lot of footage, silent film footage, of the San Francisco aftermath of the earthquake in 1906. Yes. So you see these uh, women walking around. They've got their, their coat, their hat, and their gloves, but they're hauling water, and they're cooking dinner out on the sidewalk because the houses are destroyed. And so right there, it was it was just like in, in moving pictures, really exciting. Where are some of the other places that you go to to try to find great social history information? You know, there's so many, but one place that I'd like to tell you about, I love images. And I think images help tell a story. And so one place that I use a lot is Flickr the Commons. Many of your listeners might be familiar with Flickr, which is a photo sharing website, but Flickr the Commons is where the world's repositories upload images that are uh, without copyright restriction. And so you can go on there and you can put, let's say, uh, the Civil War and find pictures after pictures of people who were involved in the Civil War, of different things um, that tell that story. And so that's one website that I do go to a lot just to get that kind of imagery because I think that pictures tell us a story so much better than words sometimes, like you were saying with the videos. Yeah, so true. Now, the website for that is Flickr, which is F-L-I-C-K-R, no E, dot com slash commons. And that is such a fantastic tip because if you go to Flickr.com, you are looking at a lot of images that you really don't have permission to work with. But here in the comments, you've gone right to the public domain images. You are. And, you know, the other thing is, is um, these are repositories, libraries, museums, and archives throughout the world. And so it doesn't matter if you don't have U.S. ancestors or that they came over fairly late. There's other places that are represented in that collection that you can find images for. Great, great tip. Where else do you look for social history? Well, another place that I love is all the different web pages involved with American memory. 
Oh, yes. American Memory is a Library of Congress website. And I think that too often we as family historians, we don't use the Library of Congress because it seems overwhelming. But American Memory is their digital collections. And there's a lot there. I mean, that could be a whole seminar, you know, of itself. Not only do they have newspapers, but they have just maps of all kinds of things. They have narratives from early California. They have stereoscopes from mid-Atlantic states. They just have so many images and stories. There's interviews from former slaves. I mean, Just tons of stuff that tells the history of America through the eyes of normal, everyday people. Absolutely. You know, people who listen to my Genealogy Gems podcast, they know I've told the story before that when we inherited some audio recordings from my husband's grandfather, he was playing some music. And some of my listeners helped me identify the names of the songs. These were back from the silent film era. I went to American Memory, put in the name of the song, and I instantly downloaded that original music with Art Deco cover. I mean, it was just fabulous. And I play the piano, so it was kind of fun to be able to play the music. As you were talking, I was visualizing that Ken Burns documentary. Because, you know, you watch that and you feel like, wow, he just finds everything on everybody. But if you really watch them, you'll find he's constantly incorporating social history, ephemera, things that he's finding that are related to it. Because even Ken Burns doesn't have a journal and a picture and, you know, all these things for every single person he's talking about. So it's the same idea. Well, it is. And the other thing I think that you have to keep in mind is one example I always give people is I've had two children, but that doesn't mean I know what it's like to give birth in the 1800s. By using social history, you help the people in your family better understand what was life like then. I mean, Yeah, life was hard, but there's more to it than that. And I think this is a technique that novelists use, that biographers use, and it's really something we as family historians should start using because what's the use of doing all this research and saying, well, so-and-so begat so-and-so and and (laughs) giving names and dates if no one wants to read it? Yeah, and that's the turnoff, isn't it? And we don't want to turn off the non-genealogists in our family. We want to excite them. And there's nothing better than feeling like there's a story there, not just a name and a date. Oh, definitely. You know, I'll tell you, my kids, I can say to them, oh, your great-grandfather was on the USS New Mexico. And they'll be like, oh, that's interesting. And they'll go back to their video games. But when I show them a picture that was taken during the time he was on there, and uh, it's available online, and it shows the guns and all that, they suddenly become very excited about it. You know, did he shoot one of these guns? And where did it travel? And they ask me bunches of questions. And that is what social history does for your genealogy. Well, Gina's video that we've been talking about, Top 10 Tools for Social History, is packed full of all of these kinds of things. I mean, Gina is really an expert on tracking down the richness of the social history and places where we can get our hands on it to then incorporate it into our own family history stories. If you want to learn more about it, I'm going to have a link in the show notes for you to, uh, you can pick up that video class at the Shop Family Tree store. And as always, Gina, you you have so many great ideas. Now I just want to run and go look up American Memory again. I've got so many things (laughs) I want to look for. I know, I think I do too. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Thank you. (laughs) 
as we wrap up this April 2013 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, let's check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. You know, Allison, we've been talking in this episode all about history for genealogists. And I thought, since you're the publisher of Family Tree Magazine, uh, it'd be kind of fun to take a few minutes and chat about the history of uh, Family Tree Magazine and the role that you have played in the lives of genealogists. Now, as I recall, we had a big anniversary not that long ago, right? When, when did the magazine begin? Well, this is going to be a fun trip down memory lane, I think. The magazine launched back in, it officially hit newsstands for the first time in November of 1999. And it turns out that I am one of the original staff members. So I have been here from almost the very beginning. You could say that I'm sort of an unofficial archivist for Family Tree (laughs) Magazine. And here I was thinking it was 10 years, but my gosh, it's 2013. Time is flying by. And you have been there since the beginning, and I think that people might be surprised to know that one of the regular contributors and guests here on this podcast was actually the original publisher. Tell us who that was. Well, that, of course, is David Furcell. Um, David was instrumental in launching Family Tree Magazine. He worked at our parent company, F&W Media, um, as editorial director here. And um, his own interest in family history, I think, um, really helped this magazine get off the ground and go from a concept into a reality. So David actually hired me to work on the staff when I first got here, and I'm just so glad that although he's moved on to his own publishing enterprise, that he's still very frequently involved in keeping it his baby, so to speak. (laughs) Well, so how many people were on the staff back in 1999? How many people did it take to put together an issue? Well, one of the benefits um, of the fact that our parent company um, is a publisher of lots of different enthusiast publications is that, um, you know, the first couple of issues were really put together by people who were already employed by the company working on other publications. So David wrote a lot of content. And um, of course, we reached out to genealogy experts um, in the community. But, you know, for the sort of editing and production work, we were able to draw on staff that um, we already had on other titles. And um, I was the first editorial person hired to work on the magazine, and then we um, added a couple more editorial positions over the course of that first year. Right, and and you touch on something that maybe I think people may not be aware of, and that is that Family Tree Magazine is part of F&W Media. Give us an idea, because people who are into genealogy, I don't know if they have spare time, but if they do, oftentimes they're hobbyists in other areas as well, and you guys have a wide range of magazines that you offer. We do. As a matter of fact, we have dozens and dozens of titles for all different kinds of hobbies and enthusiast areas from woodworking to writing to fine art, knitting, other types of crafts, coin collecting, you name it. We've got a magazine for it. You know, that is something that I think is really unique about what we do is all of these magazines, we have editors who are really interested in and part of the communities that we serve. And so Mm -hmm. it's not just a job for us. It's really a passion. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so from 1999, all the way to fast forward to 2013, what's changed the most? You know, what did you just not foresee that has really evolved over the years? Well, I think the biggest thing that's changed in terms of what we do is 
how important digital publishing has become to uh, our enterprise. You know, when we started out, we were doing a print magazine and we were putting out six issues a year and you know we're now doing seven issues a year but we're also doing email newsletters and we have a website and an online store and online webinars and classes and all of these other things that really supplement the mission of Family Tree Magazine to help people learn more about their roots and you know certainly our industry of publishing has changed a lot you know, I, I really feel excited about all of the new technology that has enabled us to be able to um, branch out, so to speak, and serve our customers in lots of different ways. Yeah, that's the thing that really popped into my head was the fact that you started with publishing this print magazine, which is a big project in itself. And now it's evolved into really a, a multimedia online company, and all the different services. And, and really, I think that's the the thing that I, I'm most impressed with with Family Tree Magazine is that you really pay attention to where genealogists are and try to meet them there. That's definitely our goal. We know that um, people who are doing this hobby are out there on the Internet, and we want to be out there with you and providing you with help and tools to make your hobby more enriching and enjoyable. Well, here's to many more years to come. Um, I think that everybody really looks forward to when their issue pops into their mailbox. There's nothing like the real deal in your hands, I think. I can't imagine that ever going away as far as uh, a genealogist wanting to take a look at a magazine. But you also offer it now for our iPads and our e-readers if we want them, right? Let's uh, have you wrap up by telling us what's the digital version now of the magazine. Sure. Well, we do offer sub- digital subscriptions of Family Tree Magazine, and um, you can buy those directly from us at shopfamilytree.com or on our website, familytreemagazine.com, um, as well as for your Kindle. Um, you can get them directly through Amazon and through Google and um, hopefully coming soon for iPad. Pretty much any device that you might happen to have, you can read our magazine. And I do have to say, Lisa, the thrill of seeing your name in print is the same digitally as it is on paper. (laughs) It's so true. And uh, we, we look forward to every issue. Thanks so much for taking us on a little trip down memory lane. Thanks. It was fun. Thanks so much for joining me for this April 2013 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. It's the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and check out the Genealogist U.S. History Pocket Reference. It's by Nancy Hendrickson. You'll find that at shopfamilytree.com. And also over at Shop Family Tree, you'll find Gina Philibert Ortega's video class, the one called Top 10 Social History Tools. And you can purchase that as a digital download. Next, head over to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast, where you'll find the show notes for this episode, which will include information and website links for everything that we talked about on today's episode, including the Historic MapWorks website. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems Podcast, which is also available for free through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.
Every family has history, and every family has cherished stories. Saving Memories Forever provides a new way for you to record and preserve family memories using audio and more. Check out the free Saving Memories Forever app. It's available for the iPhone, iPad, and Android services. It lets you easily record your stories and then share them with family at the Saving Memories Forever website. Get started today and capture all those stories of your parents, grandparents, and other family members. For more information, go to savingmemoriesforever.com. Saving Memories Forever, sharing family memories one story at a time.